I'm always super annoyed. It's Friday, October 13th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Geen Stijl Contributor, and with me today are Gordon Derek, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Empty Box Receiver, and Molly Quell, Contributing Editor at Dutch News and Puppy Mom in Waiting. So Gordon, uh, can you tell us about your empty box? Yeah, I got a cardboard envelope through the letterbox this week from Amazon and it was very flat and I thought, that's funny, I don't remember ordering a single sheet of paper or something. When I opened it up, there was nothing in it. Wasn't the, wasn't the Regea accord in it? Uh, it could have been. Or Did you order that? You know, maybe I ordered Harry Houdini's autobiography, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> but, uh, no, they, they sent me an empty box. So um, yeah, I know what it was supposed to be. I'd ordered a book that a friend of mine had written and uh, it, yeah, that was supposed to be in the box, but it wasn't. So, But, ah. they've re- but to be fair to Amazon, um, they've refunded me. So. Oh, that's good. So yeah. Paul, you've uh, defected the Gein style? Yeah, they included a tweet of me again yeah. on one of their islands yeah yeah so last, i apologize i'm sorry the last time i was featured in Hain style i had to turn twitter off for two weeks because i couldn't deal with for it for two weeks yeah it was a long uh, time yeah. i was done it was it was especially frustrating because it was a few years ago and so i knew that people were making rape threats but i couldn't actually understand it because they were tweeting at me in dutch <laughs> have you gone back to them since to no. see what they meant yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you didn't have your inbooking excursus no uh, i hadn't had the inbooking so, excursus yeah. Yeah. maybe that was your inbooking excursus. i did get a weird e- nasty email this week at the dutch news uh my dutch news email address what did it say I, somebody was just like you're it said jij bent bevist on Bequam. You are. Be- you bewust unbequam. Yeah. You are um, intentionally in- like or yeah. un- in- incapable. In- yeah, yeah, intentionally mm-hmm. incapable. It was just a really weird like. I, yeah, I don't know. That's very strange. It was very strange. What was the? Was that all it said? That's all it said. Oh really? That yeah, was all that it was said. it. <laughs> oh, I thought this was one sentence no, out of the. Uh, no, 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 no. Ah. That was it. And what's your news on the puppy front, Molly? Sadly, we were uh, supposed to go interview a puppy this weekend interview I, a puppy yeah that's what you have to make it you have to make an offspark with the dog ah, yeah. and uh so we you have had, these done his inbookings curses exactly yeah. and then uh then we found out from the shelter that he had been adopted by another family before oh. we could go meet him so does, sad for uh, us but yeah. good for the dog does the dog get a little book when it's um becomes a fully grown dog on uh, dutch culture and yeah, history absolutely <laughs> and it has to take a trip to the tweedakamer and the rijksmuseum <laughs> This week, we'll tell you how a spectacular prison break plan failed. We'll update you on the ABBA penalty soap and how a chicken became a stool pigeon. In our discussion, we'll talk about what nobody expected to ever happen. The coalition talks are done. Our top story this week is that on Thursday, police found the body of the 25-year-old missing student, Anna Faber, who disappeared after setting off for a bike ride on September the 29th. It ended a two-week search of the house to Hydra estate near Utrecht, involving around 200 police staff, soldiers and volunteers. A 27-year-old sex offender named Michael P was arrested on Monday and led police to her body in Woodlands near Zeevolde. He was serving an 11-year jail sentence imposed in 2012 for raping two underage girls, but at the time Anna Faber disappeared, he'd been allowed out of a psychiatric clinic as part of a rehabilitation. Program. Justice Minister Steph Block has announced an inquiry into the circumstances in the clinic in Dendola, and I read this morning that about 60,000 people have signed a petition calling for a full inquiry. 
which is really necessary because mm. this uh, psychiatric clinic where he was uh, staying had been in the news for a couple of years now with numerous incidents uh, involving patients there. Yeah, and there's been all kinds of leaks come out. I think uh, there's I've seen reports that the, the suspect uh, may have been having a relationship with one of the staff in the clinic and that may be why he was given a lot of freedom apparently since about the spring to kind of come and go more or less as he pleased. Yeah, so a full inquiry is indeed uh, very much needed. So, Gordon, why was this guy uh, uh, let out early? Well, that's a, that, that was the first question that Anna Faber's family uh, asked during the press conference on Thursday, because he had an 11-year sentence, which is quite a long sentence by Dutch standards, uh, which suggests obviously the offences he was committed for were pretty serious. But he was being treated as, at a psychiatric clinic in Dindolder, and uh, as part of that, he was being rehabilitated and uh, given some limited freedom to um, to go out of the clinic unsupervised. By all accounts, he, he, was, he was kind of a model patient and he seemed to be you know, no longer um, a danger or they, uh, that was their assessment um, and it turns out to have been otherwise. And I heard someone said that he should have been given a TBS. Can you maybe explain to the listeners what that is and, and what the situation is with that in this case? Yeah, you have the TBS system in the Netherlands, which is an uh, almost unique thing in Dutch justice, although they have something similar in Belgium. But when you're convicted of an offence, you either go to prison or you get a TBS order or some, quite often you get both, actually. But a TBS uh, is... Is short for Tebeschikkingstelling, which means you're at the sort of disposal of um, uh, psychiatric treatment. So you're given um, a compulsory treatment order, and if it can be shown that you have a treatable mental disorder. Uh, but the problem in this case, as um, the former director of the uh, assessment centre, the Peter Band Centre, explained last night in Newsier, is that uh, the suspect didn't cooperate with his assessment when he was given uh, this conviction for the two previous rapes, and therefore they couldn't decide whether or not he had a mental disorder and he couldn't go into a TBS clinic. Instead he went to prison, and I think the point that the former director was making was that uh, TBS is a much, much better regime for sex offenders. Sex offenders who come out of TBS are about four times less likely to to re-offend than those who go to prison. So there's big, big questions to ask about that. The problem, of course, is that if people don't want to cooperate with the assessment, how do you then uh, get them into the TBS system? There's definitely going to be a big uh, public debate uh, coming up about this. Um, why should someone that is you know, clearly mentally ill uh, be allowed to, you know, uh, that he becomes a, a threat for society? Yeah, particularly, I think, with, with sex offences, right? I mean, those are, I think, you know, particularly heinous in this regard like you know it's 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 one thing to to break into somebody's house i mean it's another thing to sexually assault two underage girls yeah particularly heinous and notoriously difficult to um treat in a way that uh, people actually you know, are no longer a threat to society right because they tend to be unreliable and you know manipulative and uh, that seems to have happened in this case there's some really serious questions for whoever succeeds steph block as justice minister in the new cabinet to answer though i think the feeling this is going to this story is going to run and run uh, our <coughs> condolences to uh, the family of uh, on the faber in other news, over 300,000 people have signed a petition calling for a referendum on the new Dutch law on telephone tapping. The law gives security services vastly increased powers to intercept and monitor digital communications. Opponents say it opens the door to Big Brother, while ministers say it's necessary to combat terrorism. If enough of the signatures are valid, the referendum is likely to be held in March, on the same day as local elections. This will make it more likely that at least 30% of the electorate take part, the turnout necessary to for the result to have legal standing. Do you know the uh, nickname of the tapping law in Dutch? I don't. 
slave net wet. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of the trawler law almost. The trawler law. The trawling yeah. law. Yeah. yeah. The slave net is kind of like a trawler net. Yeah. You hang it at the back of a big fishing boat. Yeah, and yeah. slave net wet is uh, probably isn't a very comfortable word to pronounce. No. They yeah. already abbreviated it to slave net. Yeah. Slave wet. Slave wet. Yeah. yeah. And when will which, we know. Which doesn't mean anything. No, no. Uh, and when will we know whether the signatures on the petition are all valid? Uh, the government plans to announce that on uh, on November 1st. Right. And this is likely to be the last referendum because, of course, the coalition agreement includes a proposal to scrap the referendum law that was introduced by the last government. Yeah, that's the new uh, government's plan to scrap that law. However, the Council of State uh, has announced that it is possible to have a referendum on the abolishment of the referendum law. So this might not be the last referendum we're going to get. But, of course, the referendum on scrapping the referendum law is only an advisory referendum. So therefore, yeah, the so it, ignore it. Yeah, there is no uh, yeah uh, legal complication for that. Yeah, so you can have a referendum in which the people say they want to keep the referendum law, but the government can still say no more referendums. That is exactly what is going to happen. <laughs> Even though D66 is in government, uh, which has in its manifesto when they started the party that they want to um, make sure that referendums are allowed in the Netherlands and that it should be held on a regular basis. And that they should be legally binding as well. Yeah, and so legally the government couldn't ignore well. it. Yeah. yeah. So, so in this case, D66 will ignore the result of a referendum that abolishes referendums that they wanted to have legally binding. How we love irony. <laughs> uh, I also love that the Council of State called, uh, called this law referendable. Is that a yeah. word in, in English? Not really, no. no. Ah. It's referendumception. In sport, the Dutch men's national football team failed to qualify for a major summer tournament for the second time in a row this week, and that's the first time that's happened since the 1980s. Last Tuesday's final World Cup qualifying game was effectively a dead rubber, as Arani needed to beat Sweden by seven goals to proceed to the playoffs. In the event, they managed two, both scored by Arjen Robben, in what he later confirmed was his final appearance for the national team. Yeah, and it was really um, striking that when he was uh, walking around the field, um, thanking the audience and uh, receiving his applause, that he was the only one standing there and that his team already decided to uh, uh, go back into the, uh, to the dressing room. rooms, yeah. in the changing rooms. Yeah, yeah. so it, it really shows that our Dutch national team isn't a team at all. No, Robin was the only one who really looked like he was up for the game at all. Yeah. I think. And uh, the fact he scored both the goals sort of reflects that, I think. Yeah, although his first, although his penalty, the, f- the first goal was a penalty, which was probably the worst penalty of all time, even though he scored it. Yeah. It trickled into the net at about the speed of a snail crawling towards a leaf of lettuce. Yeah, it wasn't a pure penenka. It looks like it was an accidental penenka. He was trying to do a penenka, I think, yeah. Yeah, where, the, where, you chip, yeah, where you chip the ball very slowly over the goalkeeper as he's diving. But yeah. in the end, instead, it sort of scuffed along the ground. But the goalkeeper had already dived and he couldn't quite stretch his leg far enough to stop it going in. Yeah. And the king thanked uh, Arjen Robben from uh, Portugal for his uh, service. Yeah. Good to the king's commitment to the national team watching the game in Portugal. <laughs> yeah. Rather than Amsterdam. A country that is uh, going uh, to the uh, world championships. The US also uh, had a men's football disaster. Yeah, but we lost to Trinidad but, and Tobago. But that's what called US uh, That's not true. Right? The US almost always, the men's team almost always qualifies. Yeah, that's because you're in Cup. a group with uh, places like Costa Rica and um, Yeah, but they were, they were really, really bad. It was a really terrible game. It was awful. <laughs> to, they, to whom were the Trinidad players? and Tobago. Ah, yeah. yeah. They basically uh, lost to like a, a not or? pro team. The Trinidad and Trinidadian and Tobagoian team. <laughs> the team Sorry, from <laughs> the team from Trinidad and Tobago is like they 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 know they have a bunch of like not professional players. But on they've been team. to the World Cup recently, Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they're not terrible. Well, Scotland haven't qualified since 1998, so I'm in no position to criticize. 
We're not asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Can uh, we talk about what, the only thing I care about in sports this No, week? what was the score of, uh, of the US and the... Uh, like, <laughs> 8 to 0, and one of them was zero. like a, an own goal. Oh, really? It was really, it was really, really bad. Uh, can we talk about the only thing I care about in sports ever? Is this the ABBA penalty saga? ABBA! So what's going on with the ABBA conclusion? <laughs> well, it's finally been wound up. The long-running penalty shootout saga between FC Lisa and Hook, two amateur clubs who played a match in the first round of the Dutch Cup on September the 20th. They drew, which meant it went to penalties. Um, FC Lisa won the shootout, but... The referee, for reasons unknown, decided to have the penalties taken in a non-standard order. He used the ABBA format, which basically means the teams take turns going first. It's meant to be fairer. And when the Cannes-Fébé, the Dutch Football Association, found out about this, they ordered the shootout to be retaken, at which point Lissa went to court. But the judge took the side of the Cannes-Fébé, and that meant that on Wednesday, Hook's players boarded a coach for the four-hour coach journey from Zeeland up to Amsterdam for the ten-minute quick-fire decider. But it was worth their while, because this time they won by six goals to five, and they will now play Eredivisie side Heracles in the second round. Yeah, and for that they have to travel 300 kilometres, which is 100 <laughs> kilometres more for the uh, than the uh, penalty shootout. Yeah, and uh, what do we think they might have been playing on the stereo on the four-hour bus ride back home to Zealand. Uh, yeah, this, this this must be a ABBA medley, non-stop. Yeah. I presume Uptown Funk, because that's the one everyone <laughs> listens to. Uh, on repeat? On repeat. Yeah, sure. For four hours. For four hours. Yeah. André Hazes. Um, uh, André Rieu. The Kachang Kachang song. Or the Villa Helmish. The Villa Helmish. Yeah, on repeat. Yeah. On and they were stood up on the bus all yeah. the way. The US TV show Prison Break came to Limburg this week when a man was killed by police as he tried to break a prisoner out of jail by helicopter. Yeah. The prisoner, identified as Benahoof A, collaborated with three other people who planned to break the gang member out of jail, where he was serving a 12-year sentence for the murder of another gang member in Antwerp. Police learned of the plot during another investigation and managed to foil it. One of the three co-conspirators, however, was killed by police during the escape attempt. And I heard from Paul this morning that there has been another attempt at breaking someone out of jail by helicopter in this country. Uh, that's true. In uh, 1992, Robert M. was serving one and a half years in prison when uh, his partner in crime uh, hijacked a helicopter, forced the pilot to land in the prison courtyard and uh, uh, while holding a gun to his head. So Robert M. stepped in the helicopter and uh, flew away. Um, the gang members of this story, however, uh, of your story, Molly, they just simply booked the flight. Uh, that seems better than Dutch, right? Yeah, very yeah. Dutch, very yeah. efficient. Yeah. Did they what? get a bonnet? <laughs> <laughs> but the guy got uh, shot dead for booking a flight, which seems a bit uh, harsh, even by Ryanair standards. <laughs> Damn it! I was just going to make that joke. <laughs> The world's first CO2-neutral egg has been produced in a chicken farm in Kastenrij in the southern province of Limburg. The farm called Kipster only uses white chicken, which eats less than the standard brown chicken. The animals are not fed with environmentally unfriendly corn, but instead with so-called residual flows, such as leftover bread and agricultural byproducts. The farm is designed with input from animal protection organization Dierenbescherming and is equipped with 1100 solar panels, large windows, windows, two outside areas and even indoor trees. The eggs will cost 23 cents compared to 17 cents for normal eggs. And this isn't the only chicken related news, Paul, right? Uh, no, indeed. Um, on Tuesday, police in Zaandam, North Holland, received reports of a chicken that apparently fell off an apartment building. Concerned with the animal's welfare, the police came to look and found out that the owner of the apartment wasn't only neglecting the chicken, but also had a marijuana farm 
in his apartment. Uh, the man was arrested and the chicken was sent to a shelter. Was the chicken guarding the uh, the marijuana, a la the uh, alligators that were guarding <laughs> drug stashes in Amsterdam? <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we talked about that a few months ago. Uh, yeah, but this chicken had to uh, uh, was forced to read a book by Geert Reve, so he just mm. jumped off uh, <laughs> the balcony. Yeah. Well, that was quite a coup for the police. Then. Yeah. They should name the, the apartment building uh, Poultry Towers. <laughs> that was appalling. <laughs> we'll be discussing uh, the latest news about the newly formed coalition after this word from our sponsors. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. Last Monday, the unthinkable happened. The coalition negotiations finally ended. After almost seven months of negotiating and three failed attempts, Margaret's Liberal Party VVD, Sibrand Puma's Christian Democrat Party CDA, Alexander Pechtel's D66 and the Christian Union of Gertjan Segers finally reached an agreement. It took these four party over a hundred days of radio silence, dining in on hygienic restaurants, moving from the Binnenhof to a city palace two blocks away, to a country house and back to the Binnenhof. All three of us read the 53-page document known as the Regierakkoord, which outlines the agreements and rough policy of the next cabinet for the coming four years. Paul, I have a very important question about this. Well, ask me. What are we going to talk about on the podcast now that there's no more coalition <laughs> discussions? Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, and no EBA penalty shootouts. No EBA penalty shootouts as well, yeah. Yeah. It, it's just going to be chicken news, I just think. Just chicken yeah. news. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah, chickens and marijuana. Chicken That's all you really need. Yeah. Yeah. The Dutch news podcast, chickens and marijuana. So although it was a big announcement on Tuesday, a lot of this information was already known because it would have been leaked or, as the um, chairman, Gerrit Zahn, said, sprayed into the media. Which, which was, was very disgusting. Which was a horrible image. But... <laughs> it was a horrible image, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so so what are the kind of main points what's, uh, of the of this kind of coalition agreement? One of the main points is uh, a, a tax reform. Uh, rather than four tax levels, we're going to get two tax levels and the added value tax on uh, the lower added value tax will be increased from 6% to 9%. So income tax is coming down. So everyone's income tax basically uh, is being reduced and compressed into these two bands. So there's an upper rate of 49.5% if you earn more than 68,500 euros. Yeah, which seems a very symbolic percentage. It does, 495 yeah. It's, yeah, it's they don't want to do 50%. They don't want to go into the 50s. Yeah. Um, and then the lower rate is, is 36 point. Nine three or something. It's a very Dutch type figure. So it's got two, <laughs> so two for, figures off to the common. Yeah, it sounds really random. Yeah. Yeah. yeah anyway, it's, there's uh, probably a CPB calculation uh, behind this. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. So that's a but. but uh, yeah, taxes on um, consumables. So yeah, the nine percent uh, rate. What, what was the six percent rate is now a nine percent rate, and that's on things like food, supermarket, uh, haircuts, uh, train tickets. Um, that's obviously been attacked by a lot of opposition parties. One of the first things I think that uh, came under the spotlight of. Um, I think Lodewijkasa, uh, the Labour Party leader said it was um, uh, ordinary people are basically paying for tax breaks for big companies because one of the other big tax reforms is that um, corporation tax is being cut 
and tax on dividends for shareholders is being abolished altogether. Which seems logic because uh, the United Kingdom is doing that as well in the light of Brexit. So yeah, the Netherlands have to compete with other countries now uh, to bring in, uh, bring in companies. So yeah. I think that makes sense. I feel like following in the political footsteps of the UK is maybe not a goal that we should be making <laughs> here in the Netherlands. No, no. I no, think so too. No, but I think uh, Mark Rutter see, yeah, sees Brexit as an opportunity to be exploited, even though he says he hates it with every fibre of his being. And uh, yeah, they're, they're quite openly said that uh, yeah, these uh, corporate tax reforms were designed to attract inward investment um, and encourage companies to relocate to the Netherlands. I suppose the other thing is that, of course, the EU is now cracking down on letterbox firms, which has been quite a lucrative sector for um, the Netherlands business community lately. So they've now got to find another way to uh, get foreign companies to be profitable for the Netherlands. And uh, this looks like to be the, uh, the way they've chosen. And what? one tax thing that's slightly minor in the whole accord, but probably very interesting to our listeners, is is that the the, the government plans to reduce the so-called thirty percent ruling. So now, currently, a lot of highly skilled migrants are, are eligible for this thirty percent tax reduction, and uh, you're eligible for it for currently eight years, which is down from ten years, which is what it was a few years ago. And they're going to reduce that down to five. So that's that's caused some uh, discussion amongst the international community. So other than taxes, uh, what what do we got, Paul? Uh, we have compulsory visits to the Rijksmuseum yes and yeah. uh, lessons on primary schools about the uh, national anthem yeah and uh, school children also have to do uh, community service uh, even though it's not compulsory the wish of CDI was that it was compulsory but they're going to do it but uh, the D66 compromise is that it's not compulsory no but if uh, you do it then you um, you jump the queue for when you're applying for jobs um, with uh, with the government yeah so, so there public, is a benefit for yeah. uh, so there's an incentive yeah. do it. and all 18 year olds will get a little booklet when they leave school about yeah. Dutch culture and history and uh, I, nice. I want that book too I want to see well, what do you not know about Dutch culture and history no, no. no. I'd rather have a chicken you rather have chicken a, a marijuana chicken a marijuana chicken uh, mm. okay. um, but the uh, the the school teachers got a bit of their wish, right? There's a there's a 770 million more euros in, increased for uh, for teacher pay and reduced workloads, which is what they were protesting against uh, last week. The school teachers organization was uh, aiming for a 1.2 billion increase, right. so they didn't get their full uh, wish, but they did get an increase. There's a lot of there's a lot of compromise. I think we're, that's going to kind of be the, the the theme of this uh, this coalition. Um, so what else? There was a lot of stuff about green green innovations and taxes and this kinds of stuff. Yeah, there's a big kind of green energy uh, or set of green energy proposals, which seems to be a shift from uh, towards um, durable energy. Again, I think partly because um, renewable energy has become increasingly profitable, so they see opportunities to for an innovative country like the Netherlands, which is already you know doing a lot in terms of uh, electric cars and wind farms to um, to take the lead in that. There's been up to now a requirement for all new homes to be connected to the gas main, and that's going to be uh, abolished and, uh, and they're going to try and uh, find other ways to heat homes um, which again is partly to do with the fact that of course they're not producing natural gas in Kroningen so much anymore because of the earthquakes you know the natural resources will uh, eventually dry out mm-hmm. so yeah they, we have to uh, change from gas to uh, some other heat source here in the Netherlands so that's the first step all new cars will have to be emission free from 2030 so it, also, it is almost like GroenLinks is in the coalition yeah it's pretty much a kind of GroenRechts uh, green right um, coalition agreement when you look at it because it's, um, I think that the tax reforms are quite kind of neoliberal in terms of cutting income tax and increasing taxes on what you use um, and uh, but you've got this package of green energy measures well certainly the coalition parties are claiming that it's the greenest government ever yeah Paul and I were having the discussion uh, before we came in 
to record about whether or not we thought that uh, Pechtold just did a really, really good job negotiating for some of this stuff, or if there's really just been an underlying shift sort of in the right-leaning parties about acknowledging the realities of climate change and that the, the country just has to move forward on some of these green initiatives because they're going to have to do it whether they like it or not, essentially. All the party manifestos of the parties involved now weren't particularly green. I think it was primarily D66 was mm. the more environmental friendly party in this coalition. Uh, why did they decide to uh, go on this environmental course now? Of course, the, the CDR um, were, were very resistant to any kind of uh, green measures and um, uh, weren't really interested in uh, tackling climate change. I mean, maybe part of it is, uh, I, I suspect, is because we've had the court cases recently where the courts have um, said that uh, the government really has to uphold the Paris climate change targets. And that's obviously came in towards the end of the last government. And they had to come up with real concrete plans to tackle things like air pollution otherwise they're going to start getting fined so that I think is partly an incentive um, that, that, stim- that stimulated this I also think that um, you know the Veve Day at, at least it seems to me that they've they've shifted a bit sort of I guess to the left on this although that's a weird political spectrum in terms of their in terms of their voter base right that like there there is an acknowledgement it seems to me amongst you know even liberal sort of party people that you know climate change is real and we have to do something about it and then this sort of very typical Dutch, I think, manner. They're they're just trying to figure out how to get ahead of the game and make money on it, basically. By... And that's basically it. I think that's what it comes down to. I don't think the favorite day were ever particularly in denial about climate change. They just didn't really see that there was any point in getting involved in it because it wasn't um, profitable business. And now it is. You yeah. know, it's getting more efficient and there's more things you can do. And certainly a lot of the green reforms are going to be driven by the private sector. So, um, you know, the private companies are going to um, be uh, invited to, you know, put up the charging stations for electric cars and that kind of thing. And a lot of it's being paid for by increased taxes on energy bills. So ultimately, the cost comes back to the consumer. And that, that's a real typical kind of Fefe Day um, way of doing things as well. The Vervuilder betaalt. Yeah. And the uh, younger party of the Fefe Day, the JOVD, before the election already called for uh, you know more environmental um, environmentally measures uh, to be taken. And uh, these parties, you know, their base, more and more youngsters become part of their base, and they uh, typically are more concerned with the environment than elderly people so I think uh, that might be one of the reasons these parties uh, are um, trying to tackle the environmental issues now. I also think that uh, you know this coalition is hanging on by one single seat. It's a four-party coalition with groups of people who don't have a ton in common and that if you're making an, an effort for something to hold together going down the line that you probably want to look at how you can bring in some of the other parties in, in parliament if this coalition eventually mm. fails which I think a lot of people feel that it that it probably Probably will. So I think it's kind of a long, it's a good uh, sort of long term plan in that regard. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. They've got a lot of uh, measures in yeah, in this coalition deal that are attractive to other parties individually. So, you know, Kuhn Links are not going to put up any, any kind of a fight on these green reform issues, and they got 14 seats. So that looks like a fairly you know, safe block of legislation. You know, there's other things like, I mean, they're going to increase spending on international development. Now, the Labour Party aren't going to resist that. So, you know, when you look at the individual packages, you can actually see there's quite a lot of things in this coalition deal which other parties will support, which gives them more chance of um, getting it through which is a pretty smart strategy to mm. to, to 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 take i think yeah, yeah. i agree and uh, what is the new government uh, going to do in terms of refugees and uh, immigration yeah that's a big uh, that was a big thing in the uh, in the election there was a lot of discussion about this there's a bunch of different things um they're going to open up some centers for people who are seeking asylum here but we're not given it but are kind of refusing or are unable to go back to their home countries um that's been a, a big uh, sticking point i mm. think there's a lot of been a lot of discussion about that 
Um, they're going to reduce the residency permit term for uh, refugees from now you get five years and they're going to reduce that down to three. There's uh, this kind of odd offset. I, I think it's a bit strange um, in the in the benefits that people get. So they're going to take away the benefits, but they're going to make the things that you would be paying for those benefits with for free. So you have free language courses and these sorts of things. Um, so reduce the uh, bu- bureaucracy in uh, uh, for, for these uh, asylum seekers. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I think that that's a um, and then there was also a bit of a, an open door to uh, dual nationality, which I think has had a lot of the Dutch news. The Facebook comments were all everyone was very, very happy about this. So mm. they're going to look into whether or not they can or whether or not they will allow um, people who choose to take Dutch nationality to keep the nationality of their home country. Um, and that's particularly, I think, geared towards and I think even specifically says geared towards uh, the Brexit situation so that it helps uh, British people here and also Dutch people in the UK. Indeed, because at the moment. If, uh, if you're Dutch and you take another nationality, you automatically lose your Dutch passport, yeah. which uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of about 100,000 Dutch people living in the UK who are worried about the consequences of Brexit. You know, they, they want to stay in the UK, but they may have to take British nationality. Which is a big complication for you because uh, mm. your children have uh, Dutch passports Indeed. and you have a UK passport, which you... I assume already uh, got back, which which I didn't get back. No, but uh, the council sent it to <laughs> they, the embassy. They closed and, the embassy. No, 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 <laughs> they sent no. it to you in an Amazon box. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. Yeah, no. The the, the, the council sent it to the embassy, so I rang the embassy, and the embassy said that all passports they receive are, are taken away and destroyed. So I now have to, <laughs> so I now have to get a new passport. You are stateless. Wow, yeah, you're, stateless. you're stateless. Yeah. That's tough. So the moral of the story is: don't lose your passport. <laughs> don't drop your passport in the street. Yeah, anyone who's listening. So what else? Uh, there's there's a lot of like little things. So what else is in there? There's there's a lot of reforms in the labour market, um, which uh, suppose which they say is designed to encourage companies to take on casual staff as permanent staff. So that, um, but uh, actually, when you look at the detail, it's quite hard to see how that's going to work. Because, um, for example, there's one measure that says at the moment, once you've had somebody employed on a casual basis for two years, you have to give them a full-time contract. That's going up to three years. There's also going to be more protection for freelance workers, so that um, as soon as you start a temporary contract, you are entitled to. Um, uh, to pay out money if you if you if you then lose your contract uh, if your contract ends at the moment you have to wait two years until you're entitled to that there's also going to be minimum rates for uh, set minimum rates for um, uh, freelance staff so and that's kind of mostly pay. geared at uh, like the food delivery service yeah. sort of people because these places like Deliveroo or whatever are using kind of Zayze Pay or staff yeah on zero hours contracts. on zero hours yeah. contracts and so they want to raise that to be what what is it supposed to be now F- between fifteen and eighteen euros an hour yeah something like that that you yeah. have to be paid in order to be a uh, in order to be as a payer. Yeah, but some net effect really is that casual staff are going to look at, have a few more of the rights of permanent staff, and permanent staff, on the other hand, um, will get um, a reduced payout if they if if, if they if their contracts are terminated. Yeah. So permanent staff get so slightly less security. It's actually that the gap's narrowing. In practice, uh, it may be that actually companies are more incentivized to take on more casual labour because you can now take people on for three years rather than two, and they have more rights yeah. as well they didn't have before. So to see how that works out. And uh, the other thing, the labour market is that pensions uh, are going to reform so that there's going to be more personal individual pensions rather than these vast kind of collective sector-wide pots that uh, have been funding retirement uh, for the last couple of generations. So that's a big change as well. So what else is in there? Anything else that's worth, uh, that's worth uh, discussing? Parental leave. Uh, yes, so Paul, what's going on with the parental <laughs> leave thing? Uh, they're going to increase it from two days to five days uh, and uh, they're also going to include a, a 70% uh, paid leave for five weeks starting from 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So this seems to be a th- concession to the Christian Uni. Really. Yeah. So they wanted some uh, stronger family-friendly 
and policies. Yeah, but they want stronger mothers. They don't want stronger <laughs> fathers. Uh, and uh, the government is uh, uh, not going to register uh, genders anymore. Yeah, that, that was yeah. also interesting. Yeah, yeah. gender neutral uh, registration, where it's not necessary for uh, a government, the government, to ask for your gender. They're not going to do it. Okay, so what do we think overall? I think I was surprised that uh, it's it's. I thought it was fairly left leaning, considering uh, the 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 people that were in the the parties that were in the discussion. So I'm not sure if that's a that's a plus to to Pechtold in terms of his negotiation ability. Or... It's a bit of a mix, I think, in terms of tax uh, Texas. Yeah. Uh, uh, it is more right wing. Um, yeah. Uh, coalition agreement, um, and in terms of social uh, uh, issues and environmental issues, and also um, uh, immigration issues, it's more left wing coalition agreement. So it's a, it's a bit of a mix, and yeah, the plus side of it is that you can find that everyone can find policies that they agree with. And the downside is, of course, that no one is really entirely 100% happy. So is it going to last? No. How long is it going to last? That's a big question, isn't it? That's what the thing is that we've got uh, more elections coming up in the next couple of years. I mean, um, particularly the elections to the provincial assemblies in 2019, where, which will decide the makeup of the next Senate. At which point, if the government's not doing well, it'll probably lose its majority in the upper house. I'll be kind of interested to see what order they take this legislative programme in, because given that it's quite likely they won't see out the whole three and a half years, it's already quite a short term of government. Um, do they go for some of the more ambitious things first while they've got, um, you know, uh, in the early stages before the, the majority starts falling apart? Or do they do they try and get some of the safe things through first and uh, see? It'd be interesting to see how they, how they tackle that. And I'm curious to see when uh, an MP decides to break with, uh, with his or her party. Um, we have 76 uh, seats in the coalition and that means that an individual MP has uh, f- yeah, a lot of power. Mm. They can they can be uh, annoying. They can go to their uh, party leaders and say, "I want this to happen, otherwise I will break." And you know they have to uh, do something about it because one MP that's breaking with their party and it yeah. means that the, the 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 majority is lost. So I assume that we're. I expect that we're going to see a lot of how do you say that? You see a lot of rogue MPs kind of yeah. pushing their own personal agendas. Yeah, I mean, one you think of straight away is kind of Fira Bergkamp, who's wanted to put through the uh, law on assisted dying in the last parliament, which obviously the Christian Union were dead against. Uh, <laughs> I think the coalition agreement says that they're not going to decide on uh, on this issue in the coming four years. Mm. We're going to have to wait and see what what they're going to do about it. But still, in the the, the last coalition, we've seen uh, a couple of MPs that broke with uh, with their parties. Uh, of course, we've seen Denk, um, the two uh, mm-hmm. MPs of Turkish descent that broke with Labour Party. The favorite day lost a few MPs as well. And even in the last month before the election, uh, the coalition didn't even have an, uh, a majority in parliament anymore. Indeed. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how you know, how, how resilient this uh, coalition turns out to be. Yeah, and how many crises we're going to uh, <laughs> see in the coming four years. Indeed. Well, that's uh, all we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to our channel and rate this podcast. This helps new listeners to find us. And please share the podcast with your own network. My <laughs> thanks to Molly Quell and Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. <laughs>